Welcome to episode 42 of Redboard Rewind. I'm Spencer Logan Buell, and today my special guest is Indiana Grand's public handicapper, Rachel McLaughlin. Me and Rachel go over races from last Wednesday's card at Indiana Grand. It was the Indiana Derby Day, and some angles we like to talk about were how starting off at a local OTB can help you find some fun angles, and Rachel gives out some solid trainer angles for the rest of the meet at Indiana Grand. This is Redboard Rewind. It's the same old story in this cycle. We go back and forth. We go back and forth. Ain't good for me. Why we do this for? We go back and forth. Won't do this no more. Always have it selling. Always have it And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest, Rachel McLaughlin. Rachel, how are you today? I'm great. How are you, Spencer? I am wonderful now that I am off of my 6 o'clock in the morning shift shopping for people at Target. That is the new job I have picked up, and uh, it is a, a cluster, you know what, today. My God, with this tropical storm in New York. You know what? I understand. As I was just telling you, my AC went out, and it is 90-some degrees still here in Indiana. So um, I've got workers in here um, in my house. I have locked myself in the office so I can talk to you. So let's lock ourselves away. Forget about the cluster F that's going on in the world and talk about racing, shall we? That, That is all I like to do. So for people that don't know, tell me how you uh, got into racing. Um, well, I started, um, I'll just tell you the exact same thing that I told um, Jason being the other day, I uh, do not have pedigree, I, which is what Jason and I like to call it. Um, <laughs> a lot of people, I guess, do. My parents don't own horses, you know, race horses or anything, but um, I have always been obsessed with horses. I've always had horses, just pleasure road since I could say I want to ride a horse. And I own two uh, horses. Um, my husband and I have some land out about 30 minutes from the track. Um, and when I was younger, I grew up in Anderson, Indiana. So, you know, of Hoosier park, correct? Yes. Okay. So have you ever been to that track? I have not. All I know about that track is, uh, Perry Oots is the man out there from what I remember. Yes. Back. Yes. He's still, I mean, yeah, he's the man everywhere, (laughs) but yes, back in the day for sure. When there were thoroughbreds there, um, there's nothing to do in Anderson (laughs) other than Hoosier park. So, um, you know, growing up, you would go to the track with your parents. Mm-hmm. And my grandpa um, was really big in, on harness. Uh, he loved the harness. Um, he died this year. So uh, my, uh, my first memory was when I was younger. He taught me how to read the program. Um, and so I really wasn't a handicapper per se, but I had just always been at the track, you know, and I loved horses and I fell in love with it. Um, and then I was a sports marketing major. I started out in broadcasting, um, and it was just really hard to get a job at that time. When I was in college, it was sort of the recession and no one could get a job out of college. And like I said, I didn't, um, have a silver spoon, you know, in my mouth. So Mm -hmm. I was like, I gotta get a job. Like I'm gonna have bills after this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so I decided to do the smarter route, which was sports marketing, because it was really easy to get a job, you know, either selling tickets for a sporting event. And I, you know, always loved sports my whole life. 
Um, and I, uh, I thought, you know, I'll do this. It's the smarter thing. And you have to have a 12 credit hour internship. And I got the one at Hoosier Park as a, as a marketing intern for racing. And one of your, you know, jobs is to do the on-air announcements for, you know, giveaways or, or, or what have you. And I was just naturally, uh, really good on camera and Brian Elmore, um, well, I ended my internship and I was bartending downtown for a few months. Thank God Brian Elmore called me and was like, Hey, do you want a full-time <laughs> job? Do you want to be our first ever track analyst? And I was like, yeah. Um, and he honestly, I have to give credit, credit to Brian Elmore. He kind of turned me into from just a novice to a handicapper. Um, you know, I would say something stupid and he would come and lovingly yell at me and I would fix it. And then I'd say something else stupid and he'd come and yell at me and I'd fix it. And, um, you know, you just, I fell in love with the sport, the people, all the people at the track, the trainers. I mean, I'm still with the same trainers, you know, that I was with when I was 21, when I started or 22 Mm -hmm. or whatever. And that's really cool. That's, that's what I love. So that's how I got started. I remember, like, not to get into my degree, but my TV production degree, we had to do an internship as well, and I did one for, like, the local Schenectady, New York, whatever, and my final game of doing something was it was a lacrosse game at Albany, downpour, and I wasn't on camera or anything. I was just the guy holding all the wires following the cameraman in, like, pretty much a a downpour. It was pretty much the most ridiculous night of, of watching sports I've ever been involved in in my life. That was the other thing. I hate to be, it's not because sort of sounds bad, but the other thing is all the people that were in the broadcasting major were telling me about how, you know, your whole last year, you're pretty much a, like a, you know, a peon yeah. in, the, in the TV department. Yeah. And you just, you have to go and work these shifts and they, they pretty much use, use you for free labor, which I get why they do it. You know, you need hands-on experience to work in TV, obviously. And, um, but I, I just remember thinking, no, no, uh-uh. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I, I was like, I was much more, and I worked, uh, for the football de- department. I worked under coach Brady hook, which he was the, the coach of Michigan. I don't know if you follow college sports, but um, I, I know Brady. I Hoke. really love you. What? I, I know Brady hook very well. My dad's a diehard Ohio state fan. So I have to know everything about Michigan. Oh, really? Every, yeah. Yeah, he he was literally the the coolest the coolest guy ever to to work for, and he was just such a, a an amazing coach. And you know, my dad played football, and um, I just I I I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna work in the sporting department because I was really good. You know, all the guys, all the football players, I I like took care of them. They're all mm-hmm. like my little brothers, and and I just I was really good at that. So I was like, you know, what, I'm just gonna work in a sporting department, and that's what I'm gonna do. So. Yeah, I didn't want to go follow guys around with wires like you did. No, it was it, it, it was a mistake, and thankfully PTF plucked me out of obscurity, me and JK. So uh, now we can be doing this wonderful thing. Tell me, uh, kind of, yeah. <laughs> tell me, kind of how your process has evolved. Obviously, you started off like like you said as a fledgling handicapper, and now you've had years and years of experience. What uh, how do you start a race card off? <sighs> nowadays, okay, so nowadays I am a very firm believer. Um, in not overthinking things. There's been a million times, and I know a lot of handicappers will say this, they'll be like, oh, man, I, that, I said that, 
or I, I mentioned it, but I didn't put it in my picks. And um, I, I just honestly, I sit down and men, I've noticed, <laughs> noticed I, my favorite thing, I'm probably the only, I'm not the only one, I don't know, but I sit down in the OTB with the, what I lovingly like to refer to as the degenerates, which I say that in a very loving manner, <laughs> that, that term is a positive to me. The guys down there, the older guys who have been doing this for longer than I've been alive are my favorite people to sit with. They, I've learned more from them than I have from actual handicappers, um, you know, because they're the guys that are like, are watching every track around the country every day. Mm-hmm. They bet on everything, you know, and those are the guys that I like to hang out with. So I've learned a lot from them, but what I like to do is I sit down, I do, I do what I like to call the first look pick. Like I'll just sit down, you know, read the conditions, look at the race, look at the horses and just write down at the very bottom, um, like in the corner, what I like about the race, just off first glance, you know what I mean? And I'll go through the whole card and do that. And then, um, I like to get on the Brisnet pages. I use Brisnet. I know a lot of people like the DRF numbers or, that's kind of like, do you like football or baseball? You know? It's preference. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if DRF disappeared and I had to move over to Brisnet, I would. But the fact that I have a choice right now, it's just I grew up with DRF. I have to use DRF. It's just it's too confusing for me to switch back and forth. I know I've got some uh, older trainers that they're like, I can't. They'll show. I'll show them the Brisnet pages. They're like, I don't want to see that. Where's the DRF? I'd be like, okay, like, <laughs> sorry. So. uh yeah, so I use Brisnet. I look at those, and then um, I just go. I just go through and look at more in depth. You know, I, I look at what I liked first off, first reading, and then I do one more in depth. Um, go, you know, go way back in the PPs. Try to find you know similar races maybe that they that a horse has done well at. See if there's a chance of going back to that form, and then I. I've had a lot of trainers, especially, you know, say a lot of people get hung up, like, you know, saying maybe their last race, they ran really well. Well, they've always told me, look at who they're running against. You know, it might've been the same type of race, you know, optional claimer, non-tour or whatever, but look at who they were running against. Were, were, were those same horses in the race? Was there not a speed horse in the race? It's, it's a lot of, a horse looks better depending on who they're running against. So and of course, everybody looks at that, but that's something I think that kind of weighs more with me um, when I handicap. So I, I do the initial, and then I try to stay unless I really miss something. I'll try to stay close to what I originally thought because I really do think that when you look too close at a race, you kind of start almost making up reasons for why this horse should do well. Does that make sense to anybody else? Maybe I mean, me, but paralysis I don't like by to analysis. Think a race. Paralysis by analysis is something I hear a lot from people, and it's awesome that you kind of learned from the OTB people because that is how I learned. My dad was an OTB bartender. The way I ended up learning bankroll management was picking up four thousand dollars losing tickets a night and saying, "Not don't do this to yourself every single day for the rest of your life." And coming talking about uh, the running lines, I had guys who told me. If a horse beat a certain horse in this race and they were racing it together next time out, they're like, the other horse always beats the, the this horse. He always wants to come back and beat him and be stronger. And I think the first four or five times that they told me that, it won. And so then I ended up losing money over the next six years because I thought that was, like, the best angle in racing. 
that yeah, the, the horse uh, that would run third would exactly come back right. to win. It was just unbelievable. Are you more of a pace, class, form, speed figure? What, what's your uh, what's your go to type of uh, angle? Well, um, <laughs> when you're a track handicapper and you've been at the same track for your whole career, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I take all those things into consideration. I always tell people, you know, I try to find a long shot where I can find a long shot, but if if chalk's gonna win, chalk's gonna win. I'm not gonna try. I, nobody likes to bet the chalk, so I'll give people a re, you know why you should maybe include this horse. But I, as a track analyst, I'm paid to look at the race on paper and tell you who is the most likely to win, right? Mm-hmm. And then when I don't like to force um, long shots. Yeah, I, I would really like to be able to give you know ten dollar horses every time, but that's the percentage of that happening are very slim. So am I? I'm paid to have a high win percentage, so I want to pick a winner, you know? Yeah, which sucks because. Then you get people going, oh, all she does is pick chalk. Well, if 35% of the time chalk wins, I'm not doing too That That's very fair, 100%. So I guess what I was trying to say with that is just that, you know, if I'm – I try to pick a long shot when I can, but as far as, you know, what I'm getting paid to do and what a track analyst that's only at the track is paid to do is to pick winners. And, you know, if, if – a race is chalky, a race is chalky, you know, you know, chalks winning 90, 35% of the time, then, you know, and I'm picking them, then that my percentage is pretty good there. So, uh, you don't want to, I try to find a long shot when it fits, but if it doesn't, you know, I don't. Um, but uh, to answer your question, my, um, angle, I think that I use the most is class. Uh, I I just said it a minute ago, depending on who they've been running against, where they've been running, you know, it might be a the same kind of condition race at Indiana, but it's a little different, an optional claimer for 25 non-two at Churchill, you know, so um, I just, I look at class, I think the most, and then I really, I know a lot of people say that it's not the jockey, it's the horse, and I 100% agree with that, and that's why that's my number one angle that I go with as class and, and the horse and everything. But I do look at, at jockeys and trainers. You, you know what trainer is better, you know, is a turf trainer or which jockey kills it on, on the turf or which one doesn't have, doesn't run well, you know, at Indiana, mm-hmm. you know? So I do like to look at uh, the connections as well. That's probably a bigger um a bigger angle for me than it is maybe for other people. But I definitely class is something that I look at the most. We're definitely going to be talking connections when it gets to the later races of today. Let's get started with the, with our first race today. It was race number eight from Wednesday, Indiana grand. It was the Indiana general assembly distaff. It was a listed stake for 75,000 going one and one sixteenth miles on the turf. Where did you end up going here, Rachel? I had shoes on the warpath all day. Um, you know, Chantel has come in and rode and won. I think it was the tall we, I'm going to look it up, but she won a stake on this, on, uh, this mare last year. And it she was, was a tall so impressed. Yeah. Tall we. Thank you. She, um, she came last year and rode her a couple times and it was just, she did, they just get along really well. And Steve Margolis ended up saying this, um, in the interview, he said, she just gets along with her very well. And I interviewed Chantel last year about her and she is a Philly that gets really keyed up and she gets in her head. And that's another thing about 
jockeys, you you can talk to a jockey and tell if they actually, I don't want to say like horses, but if they understand horses. I mean, horses are, they're pack animals, not pack animals, they're herd animals. They, they're not, it's so crazy if you think about horses that we try to get them to pass other horses to win a race. And separate, the exactly. Thing, yeah. <laughs> The last thing that a horse wants to do is get out in front. I mean, that's like against their DNA. They're, they are safety in numbers animals. Uh, so I think it's very telling that Chantel has, has said that to me before. You know, she, she likes to figure out her horses. And I've noticed that also as female jockeys. They, they try to understand the horse. Um, there are male jockeys, and, you know, it's not like a sexist thing. But I've noticed more that women will try to figure out, you know, what – how to work the best with their horse, which is an advantage. And this is, that is the situation with, uh, she's on the warpath in Chantal. And I just, I, I loved her from the second I heard she was coming back for this race. And, um, and she was my, my pick all day. And she just, she overcame, you know, and, and really tried hard and she runs really well for, for Chantal. So, um, and coming from the mint julep, I mean, this was going to be, I, and she likes Indiana. She likes mm-hmm. the Indiana turf a lot. She's, she's ran really well um, here the two times that she's ran. Um, so, yeah, I, I really liked, liked her there, and that was who I had, and she ended up shining shining that day. For me, and this is a, it's a weird race because when you see a horse coming out of a grade three and dropping into a list stake at, you know, what people consider a lower-rated track, for me, the way you guys have been doing handle recently, I feel like you guys are just on the on the rise. You're kind of like what Laurel was two or three years ago, slowly going to come back into, you know. For me, the number seven, Complicit, was a horse that I thought could kind of crash the board. I like the fact that Eric Reed, obviously the horse was in Chad Brown's barn running big, you know, mid-80 numbers, Belmont, Saratoga. He puts the horse down to turf. Uh, Turfway horse wins a race, doesn't run that well in an allowance, and then they come back to turf second by a neck, but in the same buyer path of where someone like Chad Brown, whoever won, you know, he's like the Bobby Frankel now of turf racing. I thought this yeah. horse had a really, really good shot, maybe not to win, but at least when you're picking a horse that's going to be such a short price, like she's on the war path, I, you see so many people like, Oh, I love the favorite, I'm going to go with the second choice. And I'm like, Cool, your exacta is a dollar fifty. You make zero money. You have to try and spice it up with something that will at least turn maybe a four to five shot into like a six to one. Yeah, exactly. I agree, and I always, always, if I have, if I pick the chalk, a chalk on the top, that's one time I will always try to find price in one of my other picks you know, in my third or fourth selection. And I had the, um, I had the trifecta, uh, on my tip sheet. I had 1217 in it and yeah, I had 1217. It came 1217. So I did have uh complicit on there and you can go on my Twitter and look, I tweeted it out at the beginning <laughs> of the day. And I just realized that cause I got really busy at race eight and I didn't even know I had the straight trifecta until just now. So I'm proud of myself. Uh, but yeah, so I also obviously like, uh, complicit in that race that, for the exact same reasons as you said. And, and I think she ran, you know, really well. Um, she stopped, you know, the, the pace and she rallied there at the end, but it was just, I mean, that's too much. Nomo lady was, was, you know, 
I think a little bit better of a horse be- before the race ran, and she kind of showed that there mm-hmm. um, in the finish. Now, obviously, you're busy. You're on the air. Are, do you make any wagers throughout the day, or maybe before the day starts? Did you have a type of wager for this race, or were you just so busy with being on air for the biggest day? I never. I am so busy. I do the production. I make, I'm the on-air talent and I make the production schedule every day. So I'm like the producer of the show. I sit down and I make the schedule. I make the wire to wire, uh, script. I have to send my picks. I have to make all the announcements. And because of this COVID stuff, I'm, there's no social media person anymore. So I'm one, Mm -hmm. I'm 100% doing all the social media. Um, my intern helps me a little bit. He's awesome. Our race marketing in, intern Chandler, shout out to him. Uh, but yeah, so no, I'm so busy, but however, at the beginning of the day, I did make a pick five ticket. So I did put in my $96 ticket that I put out on my tip sheet and I got all the way to the last leg and I'm going to, I, I've been kicking myself for this already, <laughs> but in the last leg, uh, Joey, Joe Christofek had tweeted out something. He said, maybe Rachel can help me in this Indiana maiden in the last leg. And I tweeted and I said, you know what? I didn't put the four on my ticket, but I think that that one has a shot. So if anybody wants to invest the extra money, put the four and then the four ended up winning the last race. Mm -hmm. So I actually did have a ticket today, but no, I don't, I don't get to bet my picks every race. I wish I had that kind of time, honestly. (laughs) For people who don't, understand like all the jobs she does she's doing the jobs of like seven people in the span of like two hours so yeah, exactly uh for me i just tried to play a little bit of the 12 7 straight just try to make a little bit of extra money let's watch the four to five she's on a war path winning the eighth here in indiana right now and they're all in the game General Assembly distaff. It looks like a pretty good start. Rogue two gets an early urging from the jockey to go out for the front end. And it's Serenita who emerges in the second spot. She's on the warpath closer to the pace today in third. Amazima races in fourth, then in fifth. That is complicit about a length and a half to handle a moon. And no mo lady is at the tail of the field. And it's Rogue Two. Rogue Two leads this group into the first turn, has the lead by, let's call it, three parts of a length over Serenitza, who's attending the pace outside in second. She's on the warpath along the inside around that first turn in third. Complicit Orange Camp in fourth, Amazima Red Silks in fifth, and about seven lengths off the lead. A length back to Hanalei Moon, who is in second last, and two lengths to the trailer, and that is No Mo Lady. Less than Five furlongs to go in this race. Rogue Two still has a lead. The lead's a length and a quarter over Serenita, who's prompting outside in second. She's on the warpaths. Had a good trip so far in third. Then it's Complicity Races in fourth. Hanalei Moon to the outside of Amazinima, fifth and sixth, and two lengths to Nomo Lady, who trails the field. On the far turn, and Serenita takes over. Rogue Two is under a heavy drive. She's on the warpath is next. And then it's Complicit. Hanalei Moon goes very wide and then it's Amazima and Nomo Lady as they turn into the stretch and it's Serenitza with the lead. Now Amazima from far back diving through in between horses. She's on the warpath though strikes the front. Amazima's next. Nomo Lady is in fourth. 16th to go. It's she's on the warpath who emerges with the lead. Nomo Lady surging late. It's she's on the warpath in the Indiana General Assembly distaff defeating Nomo Lady that it was complicit and Amazima. And she's on the warpath 
wins paying 360 with a nice 90 buyer. End up getting a little bit close there at the end, though. What were your thoughts on the race, Rachel? Um, the <laughs> I just it played out exactly how I thought it would. Actually, I um, I was just actually reading here, and I didn't realize that she's on the warpath hit the gate. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I I just thought that that was a tremendous effort effort by her, and uh, watching you know the replay, she just she looked much the best, and and it played out. Uh, the way I thought it was, but uh, not the case for for a little later in the card for my pick. <laughs> so we're going to quickly go down from there. But um, I've always loved that filly, and I thought her her uh, her run there was was tremendous. It's interesting. Usually, when a horse hits the gate, a lot of times you just scratch the horse out. Okay, next race. And when a horse can show the type of class that this one has, and she can go on and still win a race, whether it's even a maiden claimer or a listed stake, it's still. The amount of times we see it and a horse hits the gate and everyone just, you know, kind of chucks it out. Okay, next time out, bet this horse because she didn't really mm-hmm. have a good chance. It's it's yeah, nice to see a horse win like that, even at a, slow, a low price of four to five. Exactly. And shout, I mean, and I just was singing Chantal's accolades, but, you know, she went out three wide there on the far turn because she was about to get boxed in. And that, you know, would have been the worst thing for her there to, to slow her roll. You know, so shout out to her for making that move to go three wide and ended up rallying and, and came in clear there. And just she, you know, kept the business there at the end. She was all business. Chantel keeps that keeps that filly in check. I get uh, I get beat up a little bit at the end of the at the end of the race there. No more lady comes up and gets or uh, gets by complicit. So. I miss out on the exacta, but I mean, just another really nice race, 88 buyer for complicit. It really shows that Eric Reed, not every horse that comes out of the Chad Brown barn is uh, going to be declining. Let's leave it at that point. It's nice to see Eric has this one at six, just in a really good spot here in these mid tier listed stakes around the Midwest. Yeah. There were some really smart entries on this entire card, Mm -hmm. Um, but that was one of them for sure. Um, she, she impressed, uh, complicit impressed me, but no more, no more lady, um, getting through traffic that, that was, uh, those were some pretty sweet moves as well. Um, cause they were a little bunched up there, you know, right when they came around the turn and, and trying to get through that showed, showed a lot of, uh, skill from her, but, um, I would have liked to see a little bit more of a rally from complicit, but as well because i like that one at, at the odds for sure she's on the warpath we know how much you love this horse is there another horse in here that you think might be a decent bet back next time out let me look decisions decisions i think that i think Nisa kind of got caught mm-hmm. you know what i mean like i think she probably without that could have made a little bit more of an impressive show so next time out Depending on what kind of race she's in, she might be one that would be a good one. And I loved Hanalei Moon. That was actually um, my uh, fourth pick. Yeah, I had her in the super. And I wasn't very impressed with her um, closing kick. I mean, she didn't really have any closing move, move at all, you mm-hmm. know. So I was, I was expecting a little bit more um, out of her there. So I think maybe from from that race, Serenitsa might be one I'd look at uh, next out for sure. Let's move on to the next race. It was the 10th 
on Wednesday, Indiana Grand. It was the Indiana Oaks at grade three, mile 116th on the dirt this time. What were your thoughts going into this race, Rachel? Well, um, I had been, I was so excited when She Dares the Devil was entered. I, mm-hmm. I, I have uh, loved this, this filly, you know, for a long time. I just, I think she's really impressive. I think she's, you know, three-year-old filly. She's really classy. Um, just when she runs, she just, she, <laughs> she, she just acted like a big baby in the race, honestly. Um, she's met, met business, I think, but there in the stretch, she kind of was just running for fun. Um, yeah. but her sixth length win in that very, uh, tough June 5th Churchill Downs effort was just fantastic. Um, and then just, she got up there that, that, you know, by three links and just sort of kind of coasted. And that was what she did in, in the Oaks. She, she, just sort of got out there on the lead and, and even Florent said that he sort of had to kind of tap her with the whip to keep her focused. Cause she was out. That's where I was talking about when horses are herd animals, some horses are leaders. They like to be out there leading their herd. She's that kind of horse. She likes to be out there on the lead. She wants to be in front of everybody. Cause you can tell when she gets out there in the front, she's just like, woo, let's go. <laughs> that's, it was so funny to watch her come down the stretch, but before the race, it was definitely I was all over uh, she dares the devil, and I had six four five um, in this one, and it came in six four. So hey, I had the exacta. Dang, I'm I'm doing pretty good. Up I, until the I mean, you're definitely hanging in there. <laughs> the the first note I had was it seemed like lots of horses were coming out of sloppy allowance wins. What do you tend to do with the horses when they are coming off the slop and getting back over a fast surface? Is it more of a negative or if they have the pedigree for it, you're like, okay, they can run on either surface. What do you kind of do with those types of horses? Yeah. I don't know. When you see horses that have had outstanding efforts on slop and then you see the same kind of race, you know, same distance, same class, and it's on a fast track, they might not have done as well. Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, that horse likes to go on the slop. Plus the numbers are always different um, yeah. on the slop. You know, it's just, you, can you really, can you really, um, you know, rely on those numbers? Uh, sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. But uh, definitely that also, that was a factor in a couple, you know, like you said, in this race. Um, but when I see a horse that's ran really well in the slop and, and might not have on a fast track, I immediately am like, well, they probably like the slop, which is what I ended up thinking about a couple of horses in here. And it actually played off in my favor for you know, the super and the, and the trifecta or the super and the exact and the exacta. Let's talk about the connections for she shares the devil, uh, Florent Giroux, Brad Cox. Brad's got 14 starters so far at the meet, but he's not one who frequents the entry box. Do you tend to feel that when the out of towners come in, they, they hold the class advantage. They hold kind of just a little bit more equity over the local stock. You know, Brad, Brad Cox, he crushes it in Indiana. Yeah. Um, especially, in the maiden rank mm-hmm. he kills it and um i really honestly he love when he has horses um here but he's been him and tom amos uh tom a lot longer than um brad they have been low-key just crushing it in indiana and brad you know in the last two years when i see brad cox has a has a maiden special weight in a race I mean, it goes off as the favorite almost every time. And he yeah. knows 
it's almost like he puts them there because he knows he can win. <laughs> I mean, the Brad Cox angle in a main in a main special is is amazing. But I've I've he's had um, so many runners here uh, for so long. So him, I I knew that if he put her in there and and you know in the Derby, I knew he thought he had a chance because he hasn't entered a horse in the Oaks or the Derby. He has crushed it in the undercard in the general assembly or what used to be the Mary Holman George, mm-hmm. you know, or, or whatever in last year's. So I took note of that and I took it very seriously. I just, I overthought the Derby and I, I messed that up. But yeah, when you see some of these trainers come in, I take some a lot more seriously than I do others. There's some that I feel like get bet down because of their names, because of who they are. Mm-hmm. And there's some that, really have figured out Indiana and do smart entries with their horses. Not that the others don't. I mean, obviously they, they, you know, they know what they're doing, but others I think have figured it out. And Brad Cox is, is for sure. One of them. A couple of the horses I liked, uh, to possibly upset were two, uh, horses by Byron, the number three tempers rising, Julian Leperu had some good races, ran a good second in the fairground Oaks to, uh, Bonnie South, who we'll see tomorrow in the uh, card at Keeneland. And then I like Bayerness on the outside. I just, I, I got something from my man, Banjo, Rafael Bayerano. I just, I seem to think that people th- may think he's on the way out. And I think that he's still got some good rides left in him. And he is, uh, that horse was trained by Cherie DeVoe, who is the old Chad Brown uh, assistant. So she's had some very good horses under her care as well. What were your thoughts on those two horses going in? Yeah. You know, um, First Baroness, I had in my super. I really was impressed with her effort, and I like Rafael Barrano a lot as well. Um, so yeah, I obviously liked her. I mean, I thought that she was going to run really well. She was in that Grade Three at Churchill, and then another Grade Two at, at Gulfstream Park. So I thought, you know what, she's going to come in and she's going to probably find this a little bit easier. And then the three, and I mean, she got up, you know, she got up there for for a third. Mm-hmm. And then the three tempers rising um, was a little bit of a question mark for me um, going in, you know, and she ended up scratching. So I didn't really delve into it, you know, like I, I did. I knew pretty early because uh, Nancy, she's like a Russian spy when it comes to getting info for the Oaks and, and the Derby. <laughs> right. I, I just wait for her to tell me. She, she like, she's kind of scary. She'll, we have a joke when we're on air. She, she'll, like call them and be like okay tell me what's going on and they tell her and Dallas was like no I'm not I'm not running her so I I kind of didn't have to really think too much about Mm -hmm. it but I think she would have ran that second in the Florida Oaks jumped off the page at me um at a mile and a 16th I thought she was going to do uh well here in Indiana um and but the other thing that I look at a lot is like the distance you know a lot of these horses were just unproven at this distance especially when we get to the Derby Mm-hmm. And that's something that I always take into account because you don't know unless they've got a win at least at the distance that weighs a lot with me as well. So with her, I mean, she did have a win at the distance, but three seconds in a first, I, I sort of was like, man, I'm probably not going to put her in my top four. But then I didn't have to worry about it because I knew she scratched away before everybody else did. Let's see who wins the 10th, the Indiana Oaks right now. Running in the Indiana Oaks. It's a decent start. It's Miss T2, as expected, going out for the lead. She Dares the Devil is alongside in second. 
Then we got a line of four. Impeccable style towards the inside, and then it is Spartanka. Alondra goes wide with Byerness. Fire Coral saves all the ground towards the inside. Second last, and about nine off the lead, and a length and a half back to Gibberish, who's at the back of the pack. Miss T2, where she wants to be on the front end with six furlongs to go, has a lead by three open lengths. She dares the devil, is in second, and then a length and a half back to Impeccable Style, who's towards the inside in third. Spartanka on the white blinkers in fourth, five and a half lengths off the lead, a gap of about four lengths back to Byerness, who is near mid-pack, and then three lengths to Fire Coral, who's in third last, Gibberish is in second last, and a length and a half, two to Alondra, who's at the back of the pack and about 12 off the lead. On to the far turn, Miss T2, the jock, she dares the devil, ratcheting up the pressure outside second. Impeccable style has a fighting chance in third, two lengths off the lead. Spartanka under a ride. Byerness is in fifth, but soon up into fourth and six lengths off the lead. And then it's gibberish who goes very wide. We have a new leader at the top of the stretch, and it's she dares the devil. She dares the devil comes off the turn, leading by two and a half lengths. Impeccable styles up in the second. Miss T2 is fully extended. And then it's Byerness on the grandstand side and fourth. One furlong to go. She dares the devil. Has a lead by two lengths over impeccable style. Outside of Byerness as they come down to the finish. It's she dares the devil in the Indiana Oaks. And, and she shares the devil wins going off at an underlaid price of 320. Thoughts on the races. Florin Drew and Brad Cox win by what seems like five again at Indiana. Yeah, I... Um... I mean, it was just a super impressive. She she was more impressive to me that, to, than anyone on the card, to mm -hmm. tell you the truth. She, she, like I said earlier, she was just having fun out there. And Nancy said it best when we were, you know, on air. She said that was just a paid work for her. I mean, she she went out there and just looked much the best from the from the start of the race. You know, was stalking and you know, made a nice bit at the three eighth pole. And then she just, she just kept going and Ferran get, did a really great job. I'm sort of keeping her focused. You know, when, when you've got a Philly like that and it's just mayors, you know, and Phillies, us women, we, we get a little, got to keep us in check. And I think that you did a really good job with that, but she did. She just looked gorgeous. The pictures of her say it all that Cody photography got because her ears are perked. She is, she looks like she's about to like fly away off of the, off the stretch. So I was very, very impressed uh, with the finish of that and an impeccable style. Uh, you know, the four, that was uh, an excellent effort by her as well. You know, um, just kind of was in the inside. I didn't know. I don't know if that's where she really wanted to be. And I think she um, sort of maybe tried to move a little bit, but there's, there's nobody was nobody was gonna keep up with with uh she dares the devil she showed up for a race she was happy and sound and and ran it exactly how she she wanted to it's uh i remember growing up like when i was first starting to learn handicapping i was always because i was working a lot of morning and like mid shifts for the restaurants i uh deshaun parker was my man at mountaineer that was like every single now i'm like okay deshaun's gonna win four or five which one are they and which one's gonna be the price horse so uh, Deshaun, I'm happy to see, is doing well at Indiana. The last thing on She Shares the Devil, too, is we were talking about class earlier. If you look through her, all four of her running lines from this year, her only losses to, oh, wait, Swiss Skydiver, who's going to be the favorite possibly in tomorrow's Bluegrass. So this horse came in here with a lot of good back class. 
Oh, yeah. She, yeah, we were talking about that on the show. Swiss skydiver came back to win or next out. Um, and she finished, what, the, yeah, third there and came from from the stars, <laughs> yeah. uh, seventh. Just, I mean, and then she gets, she she's eighth in that race. Uh, the fact that she got up by third and, you know, you look at that and on paper, it's like, oh, third by 13 lengths, 13 lengths. But the first two, I mean, Swiss skydiver is a boost. So that that really didn't concern me. I just I knew she was especially from that that just impressive win, like I said at Churchill in that in that really tough allowance non three. I I just knew she was she was poised and ready to go. And Brad, you know he he he's such a good horseman. He really takes excellent care of his horses. I think that the fact that he thought that she she would. Uh, do well she definitely you know he put her in that was that was what decided it for me but yeah she she crushed it especially coming from from that really tough race that grade three and and then her last one looking good any horse out of here that you would like to bet back possibly next time out if they come back to indiana Hmm, that's a good question you know was it miss t2 Mm -hmm. i really liked miss t2 in this race um and it was a it was a jockey change uh, last minute, uh, but Bill Mott that horse uh, Miss T two was she kind of she early it, she looked really good she looked really good mm-hmm. and the distance I think was just it, it wasn't her thing she had, had had never run you know and and the other thing with a lot of the horses some of them in here but a lot of the horses half the field I think it was was uh you know, graded stakes debut. She was making her stakes debut period. She yeah. steps up here in, in this field where, wherever she lands next, I would definitely look at her. Um, and she, she, she was fifth. Yeah. Fifth in the race. I, I think next time out, I think that was a learning experience for her. And I think going that long was also something uh, for her. So if she goes like a mile and a 16th. She had gone a mile um, and broke her maiden at a mile. So I don't think it was a stretch to put her in that race by any means, but going from a mile and then you're doing seven for one, six and a half, and you're going a mile and an eighth. You know, I think maybe that was a learning experience for her. I think, I think I'd watch where she went next for sure. Stable mail guys. That's the horse. Put it in there. Let's jump onto our last race, Rachel race 11. It was the Indiana Derby. It was the main event of the day going one and one eighth miles on the dirt. What were your thoughts? going into the race uh well i put the asmussen horse on top earner mm-hmm. and as i said earlier this was one of those races where i overthought it i've seen a lot of the time i went to louisiana for louisiana derby last year and i saw this happen the the other steve asmussen horse ended up winning last year mm-hmm. everyone or no i played the other Steve Asmussen angle. It got second. The one everyone was talking about, the winner, I can't remember. I'm sorry. I don't have that up. But anyways, I, I overthought it. And I said, look, he looked like he was prepping this horse for this race or, or a race like this because it, he had gone six furlongs, broke his maiden at mile and a 16th, and then got third by two links in the Churchill Downs, that optional claimer, um, to uh, man in the can, and the uh, Martini won the Ohio Derby. So I'm like, okay, this this guy is going to come out. This colt's going to come out, and he's going to be live. 
well, he was no match for shared sense. And I had, I had the Derby four or five. So, uh, four did not, he finished in a super. So those were my thoughts going in, but I, I liked shared sense a lot. And I, and I was going to put him on top and then I ended up trying to be a wise acre and I ended up, uh, not getting that one, which is a, which, uh, was tough, but shared sense much the best. And it was so exciting for Brad Cox to sweep the Oaks in the Derby. Mm-hmm. Um, it was amazing. He, Bob Baffert did it in 2010 with looking at lucky and always a princess Yep, and hadn't been done since, you know, since. So, uh, for, really exciting for him and somebody who, you know, is a, is a big supporter of the Indiana program and everything. So brings a lot of horses and, and it, I was really happy that, that he won that and, you know, he deserves it. He's, He's crushing it everywhere. Bill and I always say he's in fuego everywhere. Um, so, yeah, Shared Sense, that was pretty impressive. For me, this was actually it's a pretty difficult race. I know Shared Sense went off as the favorite 5-2. to two. I just didn't know if this horse, not that he did, didn't belong being the favorite, but I was, I was looking for something to spice it up and, and beat it. And the horse that I actually ended up coming up was uh, the number three, Tayshawn. I know it looks like this horse seems to love the slot more than anything, but I just thought, he seemed to be on the improve, 74, 80, 92 for the buyers. Then he ran a stake against Mr. Big News, ran third. And then just the race against Nadal and King Guillermo, he doesn't belong against those types uh, at the Oaklawn race. So I just thought maybe a little bit of class relief here, maybe the right setup. A horse that has kind of been a wise guy pick in certain races, this one might end up uh, getting hot and possibly winning the race. What were your thoughts on Tayshawn in this race? Yeah, um, Nancy liked Tyshawn a lot, um, and she had him in her picks. And I sort of kind of was kicking myself before the race, thinking maybe I should have included him. But this race was such a weird race mm-hmm. to handicap. It was, it was one of those races where it was either going to be, you know, one of the favorites, you know, or the post-up favorite, or someone from out of nowhere, like Necker Island, Yeah, you know, ended up third. And I was like, you know, that's going to be the one that's going to get me here. And it was just, it was a weird race to handicap because a lot, like I said, half the field was making their stakes debut, great stakes debut, you know, and some of them have a couple, you know, a couple of them had uh, Kentucky Derby qualifying points. And here we're at a weird time in the meet. We are now a Kentucky Derby points qualifier race because of the state of the world right now. And it was just, Awesome. It was just very, yeah, it, it's awesome. It was just a weird race to handicap. The only word I can use is weird. Um, but I ended up uh, going four, five, eight, nine. And I would, Tyshawn was one of the ones that I really wanted to use. But when I started looking at how I thought that the race would play out, I just didn't think that it was going to set up for, for Tyshawn in this race. Um, but he, yeah, he was one of the ones I liked and, and he set, he, you know, he set the pace along the inside, but he just, he, he couldn't, he couldn't last, you know what I mean? He mm-hmm. had a lot of pressure and then, you know, he just kind of let them overcome him. You know, he sort of gave, gave way to everyone else. So, um, but yeah, before the race, I, I thought he would, he, uh, could possibly be the winner, but you know, you can only pick four. You can't pick them all. So <laughs> I left him out. Let's listen to Shared Sense winning the Indiana Derby right now. Off and running in the Indiana Derby inside at the start, Major Fed. It's Ty Shaw who's hustled hard for the lead. Earners on the outside. 
Extraordinary is in some tight quarters towards the inside in second. Now it's Necker Island will try to inject some pace into this race. Will be three wide around that first turn. Back round right behind the speed in fifth. And then it's winning impression. No getting over me towards the inside in seventh. Shared sense races in eighth and two lengths to the stretch running major fed. Who's at the tail of the field as they wheel around the first turn. Six and a half furlongs to go. And it's Tyshawn. Tyshawn at the head of affairs has a lead by, let's call it a half length with six furlongs to go. Erner going well within himself in second. And then it's Extraordinary tucked in along the inside in third. Necker Island, orange and green silks in fourth. No getting over me towards the inside fifth. Winning impression, fourth in the Arkansas Derby outside six, five lengths off the lead. Shared sense will try and probe throughout the fence as background shuffle back to second last and major feds at the tail of the field. Six lengths from top to bottom, less than a half mile to go. Tyshawn taken on by Erner. Necker Island throws his hat into the ring outside in third. Extraordinary towards the inside fourth. Shared sense races in fifth. Winning impression is now passed by Major Fed. Major Fed circling up wide, four wide on the turn, right to the outside of Shared Sense, who's throwing in a bit as well. Five within two lengths of each other as they reach the top of the stretch here in the Indiana Derby, and it's Shared Sense on the outside, Necker Island, and then it is Erner towards the fence as they got one furlong to go, and it's Shared Sense striking the front and has a lead, but Major Fed is surging late on the outside up in the second deep stretch. It's Shared Sense for Godolphin. Shared Sense wins the Indiana Derby. Major Major Fed second, Necker Island third, and Erner fourth. The time for the mile and an eighth, 149.46. Shared Sense wins the Indiana Derby, paying 760 with a 92 buyer. This type of horse is starting to creep into those Derby watch pools. Might be might be dangerous come the first Saturday in September. What are your thoughts here, Rachel? Um, my only thoughts are that objection. <laughs> well, well, I was. I mean, <laughs> let's. Okay, elephant in the room. Let's talk about the objection. Uh, I watched this race on replay, and I left to go to dinner, and my phone blew up, and I had 42 text messages in like 20 minutes, and I had no idea what had happened. And then I realized that there was a 15 minute objection at Indiana Grand. So take it away. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, he. He did not look bothered to me um, when we were watching it. Nancy and I did a the, – the hard thing about it is we also do a live broadcast for mm -hmm. the local TV station, which is so cool, and, and we love doing it. But one of the things that you think about, as I said, I'm the production manager, is you think about all these things. You know, I'm, I'm thinking there's no way we're going to be on time. There's no way our race is going to go off at the estimated post time. It's just not going to happen. It hasn't been happening all year. Yeah. And my thoughts were, okay, we're going to have a delay before, and I'm, I'm going to have to change everything that I had planned. That Nancy and I had taken into account. Uh, from day <laughs> one years ago when we started doing this, yeah, there had always been the question, what do we do for an objection? And, and you know, then we just say, you know, please go to the – website to find the results or, or whatever there's nothing you can do you have yeah. to be off live live tv when they cut you off there's no going around it so nancy and i are sitting here and we're just like what do you say <laughs> and even you know no matter what it is any objection you're, you're not a steward 
you can't say what you think. Yeah. We just have to explain to people what it is. And honestly, I deserve an award. Nancy deserves an award. Bill deserves an award. We had to fill for five minutes. It was a five straight minutes of nothing but talking about that objection. And that was the talk of the entire Twitter sphere for the rest of the night. Everyone was talking about that. Um, so yeah, that was very uh, exciting. But as far as his performance, um, you know, he, and even reading here, what uh, Craig, who is, has been a longtime friend of mine, I sit right outside the Echo Base Callers, <laughs> sitting here reading the chart, um, you know, while we while you were playing that, you know, he angled off the off the rail, continued with good energy. He did angle four wide, came into the lane from the four or five pass, and between rivals <laughs> is the I think where the point that Jimmy was objecting, mm-hmm. and he straightened and continued, you know, to go edge past the leaders. So, um. Yeah, but he, the other thing is he, yeah, he he just he he ran really really well, and I know that Brad had talked to Jenny. I read her you know notes about that, and he said that a lot of the trainers that had entered horses into the Indian Derby were talking about how this was such a key race uh, for all you know all their and you know entries about this was it. You know, if they show promise, or even if they don't win, if they show a good performance. They, this is this is what they're going to gauge if they're you know Kentucky Derby hopes are still alive, um, and that's what Brad said. Brad said, "Look, if he can put it all together, he's a good, honest horse. If he runs, you know, his race, if if he wins this, if he does well, then yes, we'll continue on this path." And he really did. He he rose to the challenge. I mean, he that was a good race. I mean, they were they were all together right there, very competitive race, and in, in the end, he he just really showed that he you know, he was much the best. There was no question, you know, coming in there and, you know, inside the three sixteenth pole, he just widened, you know, left them kind of in the dust. So when the, when the objection sign came up, I was so confused, but I think a lot of people were, but Hey, they disallowed it. They made the right call. Everyone agrees with that, but uh, yeah, an exciting finish again. Last year, Eddie D, Eddie D called it. (laughs) And DeRosa, he, he called it. He last year asking for it. Who was like, 40 to one loses, you know, his rider at the beginning mm-hmm. and ends up winning Pat, you know, winning quote unquote, Mr. <laughs> Money. And it was drama then. And so he, he posts a picture on Twitter and says, what kind of drama will be in store for this year's Indiana Derby? And I told it later that night when I saw the tweet, I said, well, you called that one, didn't you, Eddie? <laughs> so it was, uh, it was an exciting race, and it was, it was good. It was one of those races where you can make a case for everybody, but Sheard Sense just, you know, he showed that he was much the best. And Brad Cox, you know, sweeping the Oaks in the Derby, I was just really uh, proud of him, a deserving guy, and, and just a great, a great team. Uh, the Cox Barn is, is really amazing. It was a it was a quick marriage for me with Tayshawn. I think I'm divorcing. Just I thought it was a shrewd move to put him in this type of spot, and I think this is one of the only spots he had a good chance of winning. Not really looking forward to where he ends up next time out. Really quick thoughts on Major Feather Necker Island, the horses that ran second, third in the race. Necker Island, I think, is the one I'm going to watch because mm-hmm. he stumbled at the start, and then he was and then he was four wide through the first turn. I mean, he he had a just a nightmare of it. I mean, he, 
he did not get to run a race that I think he was set up to win for. So I think Necker Island too, I'm going to look for it in the next race and major fed. Um, you know, that was still a hard, hard fought second. Yeah. I mean, he, I, I, I think I'm not sure. I don't, like, don't quote me on this, but pretty sure that they, their, his team was quoted saying if he wins a good race or runs a good race, maybe not wins, but depending on what he shows in this race. And I think he showed that he's a, he's an excellent horse. Yeah. I mean, uh, he, he moved far, you know, through, he, you know, was in the four path and, and shared sense ran away with it, but it was still, he was still trying, you know what I mean? I don't think that he, um, is, it should be a shame of that effort at all. Um, I like, and he got, you know, some more points towards, towards the Kentucky Derby. So that's, I think that was a good effort by him. But Necker Island is definitely going to be the one that I'm going to watch. I agree. Necker Island for me as well next time out. That's all the time we have for today. Rachel, where can people find you on social media? You can find me at Racing Rachel M on all social media. And that's all you need to know about that. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on. You have been someone I've been wanting to have come on for a while. Thank you for taking some time on a Friday afternoon. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, no problem, Spencer. It was a blast. You have a good day. Thank you to all the wonderful fans out there for listening to this program and my special guest, Rachel McLaughlin. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Peter Thomas Fornatel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin, and our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Cotney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time. Nowhere to hide from our love thing.